Welcome to the Small Steps Big Wins podcast. I'm dedicated to helping you take control of your life. Together, we'll explore practical tips, expert advice, and inspiring stories to help you overcome obstacles and achieve your goals. Making small changes is possible and can lead to big results. Are you ready? Let's go do this. Matt, yeah. I'm so this. I'm really excited for this conversation. Dude, I'm excited no. too. Yeah, I, I am excited <laughs> for a number. Of I love the name of your show. I, I love your energy. Perfect. I love who referred you to me. I mean, this this is this is all very positive, and it's at the right time, at the right place. Giddy up. All right, let's let's roll then. Let's roll. Well, I like to let my um, guests give me their background story wherever you want to start, and then we'll just jump from there. Okay, great. So. Are we recording live? Like, is this is this going? Oh yeah, right like now? this is yeah, oh, this is sweet. like the this real thing. Or, or like or like okay. we can restart again if you want. Oh hell no, no, we're not, we're not restarting. Uh, okay, so so here's here's the real deal. I'm 46. I've been married for almost a decade. I've got three daughters that are eight, six, and five. They're the light of my life. I mm. am a recovering perfectionist, someone that used to identify as a control freak to the nth degree, would be super stressed and super self-critical if I did not get. Like, let's say that there's a score from zero to 100 on a test. Uh, I am the guy that's going to make a 98 every time and beat myself up over the 2%. Dan Sullivan would call this living in the gap. And I learned over time how to do the opposite of that and live in the game. So that's that's a different part. But more about me, uh, I'll, love to, I'll love to share the story. Uh, I grew up in a military family. I went to three different high schools in four years. And then... I found in college, because imagine, for those of you out there, you don't see this. Imagine there's this, this person that's speaking right now. He's six foot six, right? And he plays golf because that's what he did with his dad. And he loves sports. And, and I think on the rabbit hole even deeper, when I got out of college, I was going to be on the PGA Tour professional golfer. And I did not have success in college golf. It was enough, hard enough for me to stay focused on golf because I, I was broke. I was the kid on scholarship. I didn't have any money, so I couldn't go and actually practice because I, I didn't have any money, right? So I couldn't go and do that. You weren't allowed to have a job when you're on the college golf team, right? So I couldn't make money. I wasn't getting money sent to me from home, $100 a month. Let's be realistic. I was spending that on beer and eating out, yeah. right? right? So I, I that that was going on all maintain the grades. And I found this amazing job. We want to dive into small steps to produce big wins. I found this yes. great job in college and it was selling Cutco knives. And man, I got <laughs> this job selling knives and I sold, oh, by the time I was done, I sold many millions of dollars of knives and now, the, Matt, thousands the, of people that work in my organization. And it was awesome. And I cherish it. And some of my best friends to this day, including how I met our mutual friend, Austin, was from someone who sold knives. I'm a no big way. knife fanatic. I, I love the knives. Love the Cutco, man. I still got a lot of Oh, it. my gosh. It. Oh, my gosh. Now, do you know Do you know Hal Elrod then? Were you around? Very well. Was... Yes, very, very oh, well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I know his story, too. He was selling Cutco knives. And so you were selling Cutco knives. Oh, my goodness. What a small That's right. world. That's, well, yeah. Well, that uh, is. Hal and I, we were, we, were, we were selling it on different coasts. He was out in California in Jesse Levine, Levine's territory, that division. I was here on the mm -hmm. East Coast, Larry Manley's division. And you, you mentioned how I always have some books right around me. This Miracle Morning book that was given oh. to me by my friend, Matt King's wife, Jamie, not the Matt King from Go Abundance, the Matt King from Blue Chip Maintenance down in Tampa, Florida. Matt King's wife, Jamie King, gave me this book back in 2015. And mm -hmm. here I am in 2015. And what is that? That's uh, eight years ago. So I'm 38 years old. I start doing this Miracle Morning in July of 2015 at 38. 
And since mm -hmm. that time, my business has grown to strong proportions. I've actually got five businesses now. You know, we're, we're, we're seven figures in revenue every year. We're doing really well as, as an organization, all the businesses. And I would attribute a lot of that small step big wins to the daily process, the daily commitment to do my version of the Miracle Morning. And, and because I'm a fierce, independent uh, person who doesn't want to follow any rules, really, uh, I don't do it exactly the way that Hal taught it. I started doing it that way, then I've made it my own. <laughs> and now uh, I do it every day I still. Love it. I love it. So you, you, you mentioned yeah, Hal. I, I had to too. plug Hal in there because I, I love the Miracle Morning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've done the Miracle Morning. And that was one of the things that one of the catalysts of change for me as well. I started that actually in August last year. And even though I don't do all of the components every day, I don't do them in order, just like you. I might, I managed to get to all the components. I just don't do them all first thing in the morning. They kind of like fall into some kind of uh, routine during the day. What's one of the biggest changes that you had from like, what was one of the biggest results from doing the miracle morning that you can say, yeah, you know, I love that one more than the others. And this is what it did for me. Uh, well, actually I've, as any recovering perfectionist, I'm unable to answer with one answer. I have two answers. So the first answer <laughs> is uh, the affirmations, the affirmations by far are the part because the inner self-talk, the inner critic that so many people have. I mean, I coach high performers that run seven, eight, nine figure companies. And in doing so, uh, you think that they put their pants on different than the rest. They do not. They have the same imposter syndrome, same challenges, and many times in an even more advanced degree than everyone else. So I would say that the affirmative self-talk and how you talk to yourself is super important. So for me, I've got seven affirmations that take me between four to five and a half minutes to read. And I read those every morning, Monday through Saturday. I have a marriage affirmation to make sure I am paying attention and helping my wife to see me as a great listener because I am not naturally inherently a great listener. When I pay attention, I'm an exceptional listener is, is what I've been told. Right. So I have to pay attention. And the Miracle Morning Affirmation really has subconsciously primed me to pay attention so much better for my wife, so much better to be present with my kids. So that's the number one affirmation is my marriage affirmation and some stuff about my own focus and positivity, energy. And that's all on autopilot, like unconsciously competent autopilot. The, the self-talk for me, the part that really still helps me, serves me is paying attention every single day to how I'm showing up as a great listener for my wife and how I'm showing up as patient and non-judgmental being present with my young children. So that's, that's first answer, uh, answer one B or answer number two is, uh, I love the journaling and I keep the journaling right here in front of me. I, mm -hmm. I was prepared for our conversation. I've always got this within an arm's reach. The journal I use right now, this is my ninth journal. since I started the miracle morning. This journal is my thinking time journal. And I got the idea of journaling. I mean, that's been around for eons, right? So I didn't, right. I didn't come up with it. Hal didn't come up with it in the miracle morning. It's been around. I borrowed the Miracle Morning framework to start journaling and mm. started to use some of the Tim Ferriss Tools of Titan stuff I read the day after Christmas in 2016 mm -hmm. uh, to add to my journaling practice. And since then, I've picked up Keith Cunningham's book, The Road Less Stupid, on this idea of thinking time questions. So now right. my journaling is the most important part of my Miracle Morning is that I have at least three times a week where I write down a question that I want to solve. 
and I take the intentional time to do it. Now, here's how that might interest your listeners. You have a bunch of high achievers or people that want to learn to take the steps. Now, some people might be smarter than their own good. They might be so smart that they think that I am just going to solve my problems by thinking about it. For example, if you ever read Stephen Covey's book, in, in the first chapter, he talks about you know, taking this, this whole idea of the four quadrants and starting to mm-hmm. write down your goals and put them in different quadrants, the tasks you're doing. Yeah, that's great. I did that in my mind the first time I read that book. I didn't write it out yeah, all the, all the, write all it the out. Yeah. exercises. And that is what's holding smart people back is they think they can do it all in here. And yeah. when you write it out, you unlock new neural pathways that you weren't understanding or even thinking about before. And you don't know that until you do it. Yeah. That's yeah. where this I'm, comes in. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought up the journaling because I do that also. Yes. And I read it. I think it was Ben Hardy in one of his books. Okay. It was in writing down and write down each night. You write down three things you're thankful for, three wins for the day, three wins for tomorrow, visualizing something. And then the last one was write down a problem that you need a solution to. And I have to tell you, quite honestly, I thought it was hokey. I'm like, okay. no, I can't be solving my problems because I'm a, I'm a runner by nature and runners are people who love to get that high. And I solve all kinds of, I don't know. Do you run as well? Are you a runner too? Oh, uh, well, because you're taking me out of the rabbit hole. Look at this. I just bought this yeah. really attractive belt for my first marathon oh, coming go. November 4th. Oh my so gosh. Congratulations. With, it's really, really cool. If you can't see it, then you got to check it out on YouTube. Look at this, this uh, super yeah, yeah. cool belt. Uh, oh yeah. no, that's awesome. Please, yeah. please continue. So, <laughs> so, so by, so by running, you know, you get that runner's high, it puts your brain into that higher level of thinking where you can go solve problems. So I did that. I've been running for 20 years and I was like, you know, it's all good. You get out in the morning, you go run. And so when I saw this, write down a question at the end of the day, and it mm-hmm. really needed to be at the end of the day, because then you dumped it out of your brain and then you let the subconscious think about it and an answer will come to you. And this is what I was reading. And I'm like, this has got to be ridiculous, but I'll try it. And I did. And yes. then the then the answers started coming. Absolutely. It was incredible. I, I couldn't believe it. And then I, the beauty of keeping a journal, and this is what I, I love journaling as well. I think I'm on like my fourth one since October last year. And I love it because you can go back and look and the conversations and everything. Yes. And then I look at the questions that I posed and I'm like, wow, answered that one, answered that one, yes. answered that one, answered mm-hmm. that one. So just the just the act of writing something down on a piece of paper, I think in our culture and our society today, and you can speak into this, agree, disagree if you want. I think with all the electronics that we have, people say, oh, the electronics are supposed to be help you this, help you that. Not always. I mean, there is something about taking a pen and putting it to a physical piece of paper and making your hand actually go through the motion of writing it out. And I know you also majored in psychology in college. So you have an econ major and a business business econ, I think it was major and a yes. psychology major. And so I wanted to ask you about that. Those are two <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> those are two fascinating degrees to uh-huh. major in at the same time. So talk to me what your what your thought process was behind that to meld the two of those together and why you would want to do that. Real simple. I went to college to be a doctor. And wow. I knew because my, my dad wanted to be a doctor and he chose after he went to Vietnam, got drafted to Vietnam after he went there, he decided that, you know what, he didn't want to be a doctor anymore. He wanted to be a teacher. So he went to be a high school teacher. And then after that, he's like, you know what? I love that military lifestyle. And he went to a military for a career. So I went and wanted to be a doctor because that's what my dad might have wanted to do. And I wanted to be a doctor because that's where the money was. I get to help people. So let's be a doctor. Two weeks in, I'm like, there's no freaking way I'm going to be a doctor. 
biology was way different than it was in high school. And plus I found drinking and girls for the first time because I came out of a shell when I was in college, literally in the first week, first two days of college, it was like, no, uh, I don't drink. No, I don't drink. Day three. Okay. I'll try it. And before you know it, I'm off and join a fraternity and then yeah. go down a whole different path. Uh, by the way, alcohol free today, I might add, but I'd say this, I'd say this, uh, that the idea you just shared about writing things down before you go to bed. One of the movies I grew up watching, 93, there was a movie called Searching for Bobby Fischer, but the life of uh, Josh Waitskin was the name. Josh Waitskin now is about my age. And I, from what I hear, I think he may live up in New York or something. He wrote a book. Josh Waitskin wrote a book called The Art of Learning. And this is something, this is a highly intellectual person who does this exact process that you just described by writing something down and reading it before he goes to bed to think about it. So when I read that years ago, I started to do it too. And it works. And if you don't, mm -hmm. if you think it's woo woo, then that, that's great. You don't have to do it. I'll, I'll cash a check all the way to the bank and everything that's happening there for, for the woo woo stuff that's happening when I'm able to think about it at night when I sleep. But I mm -hmm. agree with you. I love it, Sue. I love, love to write it down. Yeah. Well, why psychology and business econ? I'll, I'll tell you why, because it's not biology. I wasn't going to be a doctor <laughs> and I'm going to be a pro golfer psychology i loved i just love the idea behind psychology and how people think i've always been kind of cerebral so i love that mm -hmm. business economics at some point uh i'm gonna be the next jack nicholas keep in mind there's no tiger woods yet so i'm not gonna be the next tiger woods i'll be the next jack nicholas uh and that didn't happen and now what am i qualified to do when i graduate college i'd waited tables i'd cut grass i'd door-to-door -door magazine sales and I sold and knives. knives and sold I'm going to be a sales professional and run a business. <laughs> that's right. That's right. There you go. So, that's it. And it leads <laughs> you out to coaching today, which is what you do today. And yeah, yeah oh. and, along with running other businesses as well. You know, I want to circle back to this word imposter syndrome. And in the space I'm in, there's a lot of people and you even out, I mean, even out there, we hear a lot about imposter syndrome. How do you define it and how do you see it? come up in your clients and what do you do about it with them? I just love that you can ask me three questions at once. I just, I, just, I love that because I, I think through all those, I'm, I'm thinking three answers and you're asking three questions. This is great. <laughs> I was only supposed syndrome. to, I was actually only supposed to ask one first. So first define imposter syndrome. <laughs> imposter syndrome. Okay. Simple. If we had to keep it simple, not easy, simple. Imposter syndrome is I'm in my shoes right now and I'm uncomfortable being here. People think I'm a fraud. That's it. It's real simple. I'm on stage giving a keynote speech and man, they're looking at me and they're not getting any value. And I feel really bad about it. I don't know if I'm qualified to be here. Why am I here right now? It's your mind going down this rabbit hole that I don't know. I don't think I'm not qualified to be here and I'm a fraud. Something of that nature might be imposter syndrome. At least that's how I would define it. Okay. That's question number one. What was question number two? Uh, so how do you see oh. it play out in your clients and what do you do to help them? how it shows up with clients. Example, so I, I work with someone who's one of the top people in the entire industry of financial services. Someone that's got billions under management that their firm is, is serving. Wow. And this is the person that goes on stage, gives all the big speeches and everyone comes and watches. We're having a private one-on-one -on -one call about a year ago and he's like, Matt, uh, I get really nervous when I'm up on stage. And I kind of like a form of stage fright. I, and this is a person that everyone comes to the conference to learn from. They can't get enough packs every room. People come to the same speech twice. It's just to get some time with this guy. And he's got stage fright. 
And for the life of me, I can't figure out why. And I'm judging, like, I can't figure out why. And I kind of catch myself. I'm like, wait a second. This is someone who, this is the top of the mountain person. He's got this challenge. Matt, don't judge, help and serve, right? So put the coach hat on, ask a bunch of questions and help get to the real part and the real challenge of it all. And this person, they never got attention from people that were important to them growing up, namely parents and siblings. And they always felt they were less than and no one ever listened to them. So they had this, this challenge of, of stage fright because no one ever paid attention. Oh, he's just wanted was attention. So we, we work through that and coach through that. And how it shows up, shows up in, in most people, I'd say, have some form of it. It's triggered by something. It could be stage fright, triggered by people not paying attention, for example. Or it could be, let's just say it's you're in your job and you feel disrespected by someone. That's another imposter syndrome I see all the yeah. time, especially in high executive performing women. You know, for a lot of men, I'm going to see it. They didn't get attention over here from some of the women I coach. It's this feeling of disrespect because a lot of the people that they are in charge of are men and mm -hmm. they, they feel this, this difference. So how do we solve it? We listen and we help work through it with them. I don't know if you ask how do we yeah. solve it, but that's what it might yeah, look like. It, in some it, It's all good. I mean, like, do you find overall, and I know Austin's talked about this a lot and I'm starting to see it as well that, you know, people just want to feel loved. They want to feel heard and they want to feel seen right so if a lot of the problems and i you know i started i have friends that come and talk to me and i'm talking to them i'm like you know at the end of the day we all want to feel loved we want to be seen and we want to be heard and i think a lot of our issues that we have if we really think about it it probably boils down to one of those three what are your thoughts uh so i love the way you teed that up because i feel this is probably the best kept secret that's hiding in plain sight for any and every leader out there. And I could hit him over the head with this over and over and over again. And some leaders still don't get it, Sue. So mm -hmm. if you're a leader of yourself, of a family, of a small team, of just a couple, uh, mid-sized, large team, virtual, at home, wherever your team is, take heed to this thought. What matters most to your people? And what are you doing to help them get there? You know, and why do I say that? Because most leaders have no idea, not a single clue, exactly what motivates, drives, inspires their people and where their people are aimed. There might be an intake form somewhere or a, a conversation in an interview where they ask them about what they want or what their goals are. There might be in corporate America some MBO or annual form that you fill out stating what your goals are, which many of those are, are worth not worth the paper they're printed on if they're printed anymore, right? Because no one looks at them. For many leaders, this is a big challenge. And my advice to any leader out there is to really dig in deep and help your people feel seen and heard and appreciated by understanding what matters most to them. And right. how do you do that? Well, there, there's several ways you could attack this, this challenge and play offense. You know, one, again, Hiding in plain sight is simply to sit down and ask them what matters most. You know, mm -hmm. I'm getting ready to have a conversation tomorrow with one of the biggest marketing firms in the country as a prospect I was referred to. And when I ask them on our first couple of calls, tomorrow's the third call, we're going to decide what we're doing next. I've asked them both calls, what it is that matters most to them? What mm -hmm. is it that matters most to your people? This is an opportunity to help them with their culture and expand the organization 
And the light bulb goes off when the leaders aren't able to answer the question because they're not sure what's important to that level of C-suite leadership. The CEO doesn't know what's most important. The COO doesn't know what's most important to their executive assistant. So we have these conversations, this coaching, they come back to the call all lit up that now they know what's most important. What do we do with it? How? Okay, here's what you do with the team. How might you develop a system or a process that empowers your people to feel elevated, appreciated, understood, and heard on a regular recurring basis? If you can do that, or when you do that, you'll get more from your people than you ever imagined when you help them get what they want. And I'm not telling them what's important to them. I'm not telling them you have to do this job because that's what's important to you. Oh, I want to get from them what's most important to them and then relate. When you do your job well, this is how you get what you want most and tie in their job performance to help them get what they want most. Sounds really nice in theory. Executing on it is hard when leaders don't know what the people want. That's, yeah. that's the thought. Well- what, ha- what happens when you have leaders and I would actually translate it. Cause I know there's other, pe- I know there's people listening that are like, I don't lead anybody. I'm just me, but I don't feel heard, loved or seen. Uh, so how do you, even the leaders or even for people in general, practical application, just getting over some of those initial roadblocks that, you know, that are out there. It's like, wow, you know, I'm talking louder. Nobody's hearing what I'm saying is, or or do you find that it's really individual depending on who it is that you're talking to? Yeah. That's if you're, if you're asking the question, this is a really good question. You're asking this from the perspective of the person who feels unheard, who doesn't feel appreciated. And you're in an organization where the leader is overwhelmed and they don't make time or have time. They schedule a one-on-one with you and every time it just keeps getting canceled, push back, push back. uh, And it's never actually happening. Or they show up 15 minutes late to a 25 minute meeting and surface level, it stays. You don't feel heard and appreciated. That's a challenging place to be. Old school management or leadership back in the day would say, suck it up. You can do it. Rah, rah. And there's, there's a place for that. Over time, however, if your people don't feel important, they're going to leave or they're not going to give their best effort, or they're going to hate what they do. And that's going to bring the culture down. So what might be in the best interest long-term for your organization is to help your people feel this way. You can certainly get more out of them if it's the selfish, that's all I want is I want to get more out of them. Well, here's a hack. Help them feel appreciated and heard. So if you selfishly want to get more, then help them feel heard. If altruistically or empathetically, you genuinely care about everyone and you want everyone to feel that way, then this should be something that would be very uh, enjoyable for you to follow a process like this, right? So if you're that person in that seat and you don't feel heard, that's a challenging place when you don't have a leader that's getting coached or that's open to that. So what do you do? Well, you you mentioned the word self-love earlier. You you mentioned kind of going internally. I find a place. I I mean, here's, here's the question. I've got my thinking time question out here. This is the one I did yesterday morning. And Sue, this is timely. The question might be this. The question might be this, right? How might I increase my urgency and desire to perform when I'm in a place of feeling unappreciated, heard, Mm. even uncomfortable on where I might want to go next? How do you do that, right? If you don't feel heard and if you're in an uncomfortable place, what do you do next? Well, I would advise you to get some thinking time down 
give yourself an hour, write the question down and figure it out. Figure it out. Yeah. Figure it out. You got to, you got to flex that muscle and figure it out. If you don't know how hire a coach, if you can't afford one to hire a coach, then study it. There's a YouTube video out there for everything, right? right? You can go and check out the people that we subscribe to. You can listen to my show. You can listen to your show, Sue. You can listen to uh, your coach, Austin. You can listen to people all over the place. You can find that there are people who have, have solved this or worked through this. There's something there to get everybody unstuck, right? You know, so like small steps, big wins. I love the question that you posed was like, you know, if figure out how you can be appreciated or how you can do your job a little differently or think of an alternative. I think I kind of heard that in there as well. And that's a very interesting question to pose because here's the thing. It's not a one size fits all answer, is it? And I realized I asked the question, how can somebody feel loved, appreciated and heard? But there's really no canned answer answer to it because everybody is so individual like a snowflake that and I don't mean snowflake snowflake I mean individual like we are all unique in every way shape and form that there no two of us are alike things are predictable but we are not exactly alike so therefore what a solution is for me may be different than somebody else so how I feel loved could be different to me than how you would feel loved or seen or heard so I I like that you brought that up because then I realized wait a minute if we're not sure just write that down and let that subconscious go to work on it and give it a day or two and let it ruminate and maybe the solution is you need to change your job maybe the solution is repeating affirmations to yourself and saying you know what my job's not that bad it puts food on the table i'll show up today or right i loved them and those yeah. are those are internal things that right. you can do so we've kind of coached to give us a feedback on what you might do for yourself kind of inside of yourself and you can do some self-study What's the practical advice we might offer if you've done a lot of that and you're kind of a little bit paralyzed? How do I actually approach a boss or approach someone and actually do this? And here's the way I might encourage you to consider doing it. You know, go to someone and this works really, really well with leaders. And I haven't found many leaders this doesn't work well with. So consider that you go to your go to your boss, go to your leader. And, and maybe if you reach out to me, reach out to Sue first and, and try it on us. But you go to a boss. Oh, that's, yeah. I, I don't want to lose that point there. Practice with somebody else first. That's there right. is a, I'll come back to that in a minute because I got a really cool story about that. But go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I, I would say this. I'd say go and practice first. And here's what after practicing, it might come out like this. It might come out. So, Sue, there's something important I want to talk to you about. And I'm a little bit anxious to talk to you about it because I don't want to offend you. I don't want to hurt our relationship. It's just something that's it's I'm having a hard time with. And you're someone I respect. You're my boss. You're my leader. And I know that you've probably experienced this or, or, or seen this before. So I'd love to get your perspective on how you might work through this if you're in my shoes. Right. And that's one frame you might use to tee it up. Right. Mm-hmm. Is you 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 tee it up in a way that you're the expert, Sue, and you're someone I respect. And this is hard for me to talk about. Right. And and our relationship's important to me. I don't want to damage it or hurt it. And this is this is very challenging for me to talk about. I have trouble sometimes feeling like I'm heard or, or, or appreciated. Uh, and and I love to explore that. If you're in my shoes, just thinking about it, you know, my I don't I don't get a whole lot of time with you, my leader. I don't get a whole lot of time over here with, with other people. And you know, I've I feel kind of like I'm out here on an island and I, I'd love to get your perspective on how I might work through that or how we might, you know, work through that together. Like if you're in my shoes, mm-hmm. what do you think? Or just something That's of awesome. that version. Yeah. Because leaders want to lead. They want to help solve problems. 
You know, they don't want victims. Notice what I didn't right. say. I didn't say, man, I am, things suck. My life sucks and it's your fault, boss. And you just right. keep rescheduling things on me. I, I didn't make it about you. I asked for your opinion and your expert perspective on how I might solve a problem. What would you do right. if you were in my shoes? You're the expert. Right, right. Help me. Okay. Right? So yeah. So what I'm hearing you what I'm hearing you say is construct a dialogue that takes the victim mentality out of it. It takes the I sentences yes. out of it. And then you put yes. into it more like a what can uh, I have this problem? What do you think about it? And put it back on the leader so that they can feel that you're respecting them for the position that they are. And then yes. you're posing a question to them to help them do what they do best. And that's lead and solve problems. So there's that framework for anybody. And then I guess I would throw in there writing it down. Like you, you've coached so many people about it that came out really naturally for you. But I would imagine somebody listening would go, oh my goodness, they probably are rewarding winding this podcast, listening to what you just said a bunch of times, writing it down. And that was the story. I, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, coaching a friend of mine and she has to have a very difficult conversation with uh, um, someone with, with someone. And I said, well, why don't you? And she didn't want to do it. And I said, you know what? And this was a month ago. I said, you know what? Write down the dialogue. She's like, well, I have it in my head, blah, blah, blah. I said, no, write it down on a piece of paper. And then I want you every morning in front of the mirror to read that once. And this was a month ago. I said, read it once in front of the mirror. I said, the first time you're going to feel so stupid. The second time you're going to feel stupid. The fifth time it's going to sound a little better and you're going to tweak the dialogue. Well, fast forward a month later, she is ready to have, and she is confident to have that hard conversation. And I'm so proud of her because I'm like, you did it. Like you, you're going to be able to have this hard conversation. You're going to be able to manage your emotions as well. Because I told her while you're doing this, put your emotion into it. Don't just speak it, but pretend that you're in the room with that person and speak this dialogue at the same time. And so she's, she's ready. I'm like, go have the conversation. You can do this. And I said, it doesn't matter. She's like, well, what if I forget to say something? I'm like, have the piece of paper in front of you. Who cares? That's right. You know, put the paper in front of you if you have to, because, you know, if we if we dig a little deeper into like people when they get nervous, right, when you get anxious, if you dig into the actual physical changes that happen in your body when anxiety and fear come into play, that your brain kicks into this type of, and, and, you know, you can speak into this as well. Your brain kind of doesn't remember things. And when you have right. something that happens like that's fearful or, you know, that, that just surprises you out of nowhere or you have a very stressful situation, you're not going to remember everything. And I was explaining this to her and I said, you know, if you write this down, you have that framework in front of you to go back to when your brain freezes up. You know, we talk about, oh, my brain froze up. I had no idea what I was doing. That's why it's a physical reaction that sometimes you just can't control. So. That's for right. her, that was a that was a good yeah. you know it's a good thing to have that in front of her and to write that down and be ready. So uh, write it out, practice the script, and then just make it more natural. And that's I would say the same for affirmations too. You know, the first one you say just sounds crazy, and I'll never forget the first time like Austin said to me, he's like, "Sue, you really have to love yourself." I'm like, "Oh, dude, mm. yeah, you're right, you're right." But to go and really embody that, mm -hmm. that's a hard one.
I, I love what you're sharing with the, the thought that comes to mind is muscle memory and practice. Yes. And, and I'm a huge proponent of practice. And you know, I think that uh, Michael Jordan was someone who was known for giving it all his intensity into practice so that the games were easy. Right. And I, and I totally believe in that practice. Like you play with, with all you got, it makes mm -hmm. it easier during game time. And I, I think about there's this particular client that I've been working with for the past seven years, my second longest standing client. And when we reconnected it, we, we, we knew each other many, many, many moons ago. Uh, and when I was building the coaching practice, this is one of the first people I reached out to. And this person was doing well in middle corporate America and wanted to have more impact, more influence, more responsibility. And she is absolutely amazing and has all that potential there and didn't believe in herself enough yet. So we mm -hmm. started to practice and role play the conversation that I knew was coming. She didn't know that it was coming, but I knew it was coming. The conversation when the pay raise or the promotion or the opportunity comes your way, are you ready for it when it happens? And what mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting right now, dear listeners, is out there, go and prepare for every possibility to be a doomsday prepper. No, I am mm -hmm. like to prepare for the things that I might want to happen. Put yourselves in those shoes mm -hmm. of that situation that you might want to happen and assume it, become that person and prepare as if you are that person. And something weird kind of happens, something magical happens. Yeah. So we started to prepare for that. And mm -hmm. when the big boss came to have the conversation, she was prepared. Not simply to, oh my God, yes, 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 to calmly, <laughs> coolly ask the questions, to ask the questions that show that maturity, that show I'm ready to lead at a higher level. And as a result, that person is now more than halfway to a seven-figure person every year right now. Wow, and that's amazing. That's and, yes. Yeah, it is. And you know what? That's part of Miracle Morning. I think I'm I think I hear what you're saying there that they did visualization. And that's part yes. of one of the practices in uh the Miracle Morning, the acronym Savers and the V part is visualization. And Ben mm -hmm. Hardy talks about it. a lot of different people talk about high performance athletes do it. They visualize themselves making that basket or hitting the ball over and over and over again. And when you do that, it really does Put that make that part of your brain open and receptive and able to handle that situation when it comes because you've already gone through it in your brain in the first place. And I love that. So just visualization. You know, I want to touch on she didn't have the belief in herself to be able to be confident enough to ask for that raise. And I want to talk about this concept of borrowing belief versus taking belief. So I want to know what your thoughts are, um, you know, borrowing the belief of others when you don't have it in yourself. And I want to quick share with you one thing that I realized in myself. I was the type of person I've, I've had my entire life strings of broken uh, relationships and friendships for most of, I would say probably most of my life. And what came out of coaching, and we're going to put a plug in for coaching as well. What came out of coaching is that I figured out I was taking my belief of others and not borrowing it. And so what do I mean by that? It, I meant that I couldn't bring within myself the uh, ability to believe that I could accomplish X, Y, and Z. So I would go talk to my friend. They would make me feel real good because they're like, because on the outside, I'm high achiever and I accomplish a lot and I do a lot of things. And they would be like, oh, Sue, you're great at this. You're great at that. You know, keep going, blah, blah, blah. So I would have to keep going back to those people. And you know what happened over time is I wore them out. I wore them out because I didn't have the belief in myself 
to sustain that. And what I realized and what came out of coaching, it was like this aha moment one day. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm borrowing, I need to borrow the belief of others temporarily when I don't see it in myself, but then it is translating it to become internal. I'm going to borrow that belief. I'm, I'm not going to take it because when you take something, you don't give it back. Right. So when you borrow something, you keep it for yourself temporarily and then you give it back to that person. So if we really want to go woo a minute, we're all energy beings, right? We give off energy, we take in energy, and yes. you know, we have energy flowing from one to the other. If you're the type of person who takes energy all the time from people, they're going to feel that and then they're going to get burned out. And I had this aha moment, like, oh my God, that's what I did with all my friends. I took it, took it, took it. Now, now I learned to borrow the belief and find it inside. So what are your, what are your yes. thoughts on that? I also yes. want to go into the coaching rabbit hole as well. Let's go in the coaching rabbit hole. I believe that many high achievers have this view of self that we're highly self-critical. And I, mm. I, I identify with that. And I think part of the things I love about coaching the most, every single coaching call that we have scheduled on my calendar, every single week, they all start the exact same way. And that exact same way is updates. And the way that I coach people to share their updates is to share, since the last time we spoke, share with me the most important celebrations, wins, or progress that you've had since the last time we spoke. And many times without that prompting, people jump right into, here's all the hard stuff. Here's my problems, mm -hmm. right? I want to coach to the small wins, the evidence of success that's happening over time. So what happens? I take that so they get that muscle memory of starting to look at their week with where's all the good. Take mm -hmm. that over a week, a month, a quarter, a year, and then present that to someone. Here is the proof. Here is the rock solid factual evidence that you are a winner, that you have succeeded, that you have made mm -hmm. a lot of progress since we started doing this together. And you should see the eyeballs start to shift and, and it goes off. They didn't see all that progress that they're making each right. and every week because they're so focused on this hard stuff over here, that one challenge over there. So that right. is systemically a way to help someone have that, that eyeball aha moment. How do you get that locked in? I mean, like Tony Robbins would do, you could do a barefoot yeah. firewalk, which our company does. We love to do those. Yeah. I love to have what's called the emotional artifact, right? So the emotional okay. artifact I have, and, I, and I'm grabbing a couple of them right now, I used to carry this. And if you know any of my clients from the last nine years, many of them will carry one of these little smiley face squeeze balls I'm showing right now, right? And okay. we, we coach people to take some type of artifact that when they want to give themselves that affirmation, when they want to catch themselves when they're triggered in a tough spot, uh -huh. we coach to practice their breathing and grab their emotional artifact. And that artifact is something that gives them permission to release and let that energy flow through them. If it's an external thing, if gotcha. it's a feeling or an emotion, or if it's a deeper identity issue or some type of self-love, then I coach people with this. This is the other artifact that you might see me uh, carry around. I have a little heart and it okay. says, yes, and I keep that in the pocket. And, and I keep that with me everywhere and all the time. Not when I'm in the shower. I keep that uh, everywhere that we go. If it's not appropriate or if it's just too big to keep in the pocket at some formal event, I'll have this. I'll have my little Yoda, a little Lego Yoda <laughs> that my kids gave me. Yoda is awesome. <laughs> always something 
that can remind me of an emotional experience that I am worthwhile. I did do some good here. Things are in a place that I'm, I'm worthy of believing in myself. I've had wins. So being able to coach yourself and bring something that can trigger that feeling okay. of success, that feeling of I am worthwhile, whatever your affirmation is, if you want to lock it in, I love how you, you coach people to practice it and get in the moment as if they're in right. front of that person, get in the moment and truly believe it. So right. I think Tony would call that manifestation. Manifestation, right? so, yeah. Yeah, so you do that. I would take it a step further and have one of these in my pocket. This is so, what I'm carrying today. This thank you okay. little stone. Okay. Oh, wow. So your emotional artifact, really what, how you coach people on that is basically they're taking their energy and are they, are they channeling the positive energy into the emotional artifact? And they're using that as their anchor point so that when they get maybe a little untethered and flustered or whatever, you can pick up the little Yoda doll and go like, yeah, do or do not. There is no try. I'm just going to do this thing. And I'm a, you know, I'm Yoda like today. Is that kind of how they use it? Would you and then would you say that there's also maybe a negative emotional artifact that when you're having a really bad day, you can take that and you touch briefed on, uh, sorry, you touched on it briefly about uh, allowing that negative energy to channel through you, okay. which um, I just read about that in the untethered soul, by the way, by Michael Singer, he <sighs> talked about that. That's an amazing book. But anyway, if somebody is a visual tactile person to have a negative artifact that they can just give negative things to, like I'm having a really bad day. I'm going to pull out this, this thing. I don't know what it is. It could be an ugly doll. I don't know what, but pull it yeah. out and say, you know what? I'm going to give you this negative problem and I'm going to allow this negative energy to pass through me and go into yes. this this whatever artifact I choose. Yes. Uh, so two questions. One, uh, starting with the artifact. Yeah, carry it with you. And what do you okay. do with it? I initially started to use this because I had a challenge with my emotions. I was I was angry and I would yell. Mm. And I would yell at my middle daughter. And I wouldn't like say she's like a piece of poop or anything like that nature. I would simply yell her name out loud to keep it down because I'm on a Zoom. And that's all it took. All it took. And I felt so much shame and guilt and horrible mm. about it when it was happening. And I didn't know how to stop doing it. So my coach and I worked on this. That every time I caught myself starting to get triggered by the things that trigger me, and I can name a whole long list of them. And it's actually much smaller today because we practiced this. Right. But one of them was yelling in the background when I'm on a coaching call with Zoom. Right. So I would grab this and I would squeeze it. And I would go through what my coach, Jim Detmer, taught me, 15 conscious commitments leaders make, right? He taught me this. This is my emotional intelligence training. He taught me to pause and to acknowledge that I'm feeling this way and to breathe it in and to accept it. So P-A-B-A, mm -hmm. pause, acknowledge, breathe, accept. Mm -hmm. And then once I breathe it in to breathe it out Release. and let it go, right? Mm -hmm. And I would do that while I was squeezing this. And over time, the yelling subsided. It went from whatever it was, might be as many as like five or six times a day to a couple times a day to once a day down to once a week. And now we're in a yell-free home like five years later. Right? Yeah, it started awesome. with putting that into this. Now, okay, so that was the first question. Second question, uh, I learned from Mel Robbins herself the idea of being able to take whatever that negativity is, that challenge is, 
if that emotional artifact thing, if that's that's one thing, you try that, that works for you. Some does, some it doesn't. The next thing that you could try that I, I also do is I give myself permission to whatever I'm feeling. If I feel this really negative thing, this really challenging thing for me, and I need to get back to the space of coaching or get back to the space of, of being with the family, I will take a time out. I will literally, I have this process. I will walk around the island in our kitchen and I will give myself a timer. And that timer could be one minute. And it could be up to three minutes. And I will mm-hmm. simply give myself the space to practice my breathing and let that negative energy or emotion mm-hmm. out. That's how I do it. Right. Mm-hmm. I've heard about that before. Yeah. I yeah. think it's like a five minute rule or something. You're allowed yourself yes. to sit in that, that negative feeling for five minutes or less, whatever you set there. And then That's as right. soon as the timer comes off, when you tell your brain, Hey, my timer's done. Okay. Now I'm going to let it go. And now we move on. Cause you, yes. you can't change it anyway. I mean, that's one of the biggest things that I've come to realize is that, you know, regret is just a waste of time. You know, regret is a waste of time. And when you go back and you ruminate and you play that scenario over and over and again, you can't change it. That's right. Why bother? Like you, you, right. you can't do anything about it. So it's only going to destroy you from the inside out. You might as well just let it go, you know? Yes. So that's, it's not going to help um, from the coaching perspective. And, you know, I know our time is short and we're going to have to wrap up pretty soon. So maybe this might actually be another podcast at some point, but I mean, for, <laughs> and I Years. also want to talk, I also want to talk about your, uh, I want to talk about your podcast and I also want you to touch on your North star. So what do you want to pick before our time is up? Great question. I love to hit the podcast because if you can see this on YouTube, you can see my logo is right here. The brand is here. Mm-hmm. It's the Eternal Optimist podcast. My super strength is eternal optimism. I'm an eternal optimist. I'm able to take whatever's happening out there and see how might I take this and use this to my advantage. I can learn from this. I'm in the moment. 18 years ago, my dad died suddenly out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. There's no way that's going to be like a, a day. This is this is a good day. That is the worst day of my life. I'm not talking about in the moment, trying to change the way you're feeling about some challenge that's happening uh, of that tragic nature. What I am saying is that these things that happen every day, we can practice. We can build it up over time so that if all you see is darkness, you can start to learn how to see a little bit more light. And you can start to see how to get to that light a little more effectively, a little more consistently. You can start to wake up and see that, yes, this thing that which may appear to be an obstacle is actually a great teacher in disguise. How might I learn and shift my view through curiosity, right? And optimism to see that this actually can be a positive thing. And how can I use this as a teacher? How can I use this as a guide? You know, if you have a strong faith, how has God sent this to me to be a servant to help me learn mm-hmm. some great lesson? You know, so that is my super strength. And I love to bring people onto my show, the Eternal Optimist podcast, and ask them, what's the hardest thing that you've ever been through? Like, what's the mm. hard stuff out there? And as deep as they're willing to go, I'll ask them a question and they'll they'll go deep into all kinds of stuff. And what did you learn from it? How has it helped mm-hmm. to inform you of where you might want to go next and, and the way that you see the world? And what's this light that you're bringing into the world next? I love to ask people those series of questions in a conversation, see what happens. And I've met some mm-hmm. amazing, amazing people doing that, oh, including the person that we know together. Oh, Mr. Austin Lenny was guest 17 last year, July, <laughs> 2022. Uh, yes, awesome. So, so you just started, your, you just kind of started your podcast as well. 
right? Sure did. Sure, sure did. Yeah, but here uh, with go. a okay. lot of maybe, I wouldn't say it was imposter syndrome. It was, you know, the thing which gets in the way of a lot of business owners is I need it to be perfect. It's my brand. Oh, yeah. It's got to be a oh, certain way. So I've got to have it just this way. And I got to do everything myself. I was on the bench yep. for four and a half years uh, when I had the idea I wanted to do the show. And I didn't do it because I didn't know how to do the RSS feed, all the technical stuff. And eventually, oh <laughs> after, after, you know, collaborating with Dan Sullivan, you know, and reading Ben Hardy and Dan Sullivan's first book, Who Not How, yeah. and sharing a stage yeah. with Dan that one day in August of 2019 uh, or 20, 2021, I was like, I got to do this. I got to do this. So uh, I just said, I, I put the money down. I said, production podcast company, we're going to create this. We're going to start this day. Tell me what I need to do. And you do all the tech stuff. And they said, okay. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and all right. It's Sounds been 112 good. episodes now. And uh, it's you. been a lot of great learning. Uh, I met a man on the show named Mark Victor Hansen, who sold all the chicken soup books in the whole world. He sold over 600 million of his own books. And he's publishing my book, which is coming out in about a couple of months in oh, wow. uh, November, have- December of 2023. So, awesome. Will you yeah. will you come back on my podcast and talk about your book? I would love to talk about the book. I would and love how to that have can help it. the world. Yes. So perfect. We'll yeah. change the world one book at a time, one podcast at a time, one right. optimistic view of life at a time, one small step at a time, because that's how change is going to happen. Change. If you don't do anything, you're going to get nothing for a result, right? So if you do something, you will get some result. I feel heard. (laughs) I feel appreciated. Thank you. That's how we started today. I I feel that. Thank you, Sue. This has been tremendous. Oh, you're you're welcome. (laughs) This has been an awesome conversation and I want to be mindful of your time. How can people reach out to you and find you? Check my last name is Drinkon. There's 12 of us in the whole world. D-R-I-N-K-H-A-H-N. You can find me, Matt Drinkon, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Find me all those places. One thing that I want to share that right now in September 2023, I'm doing a live stream on those social media channels. Matt Drinkon, Facebook, uh, Eternal Optimist Podcast on Instagram. I do a live stream every morning at 7 a.m. Eastern time for about 10 to 20 minutes. And I talk about whatever's going on in the world. We're talking about whatever's going on and how to become more of an eternal optimist and find your happiness and joy. So I invite the listeners to come in and, and ask questions live or just go in, in the audience in the background. Check it out. Love to see you there. I think that's it. Awesome. Wow. Awesome. Thank you, Matt. This has been amazing. And I feel like we still need to continue the conversation. So you're going to come back on and we're just going to do part two when you're available. I can't wait. I'm so excited. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for the gift of your time. It's been a blessing today. Thank you for the invite. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Small Steps Big Wins podcast. I value your time with me and I seek to make every moment count. In order to make lasting change in your life, listening is usually not enough. So I want to ask you, what practical steps are you going to put into action today as a result of listening to this podcast? Remember, any step, any action, no matter how small, starts your journey to a big win. And if you're not sure where to get started, reach out to me and let's have a conversation. Until next time, love yourself, then love others. Peace.